looking at um, uh, the cleanliness code, we started this next section in Leviticus, and 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 um, uh, yeah. So today, those of you who are visiting us for the first time uh, are in for a great treat. Let me just read it for you. And and I I have actually taught this before, and my and we actually on Sunday night I think I preached through this once, and. Uh, my mom busted me for mispronouncing one of the words in here, and I'll try not to do it again. Um, chapter 12, verse 1. It says in my Bible, the inspired heading, purification after childbirth. Right? All right. Here goes, this, here goes like this. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. There's the word. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And, the, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. And I've told... Many of you before, first of all, what the heck? <laughs> Sunday morning, this is the passage we're going to go over in class in mixed company, and everybody's like, what? There's a specific place on the carpet to stare during the whole time. What are we doing? I've told many of you before that uh, as I was reading through the Bible in a year and I got to Leviticus, and it's struggling through. Struggling. I got to this chapter and, I'm, and I just shut my Bible and said, what am I going to do with this? What do I do with this? I am a, a, a male in the 21st century where childbirth is done in sterilized hospitals. What am I going to do with this? What, what possible benefit is reading this passage to me? What, how does this shape me, form me, Grow Christ. What in the world you do with this? Um, we've been we've talked through the first part of the cleanliness code, which is dealing with ritual impurity resulting from the touching of dead animals and eating impure animals. We've, we've kind of gone through that, and that's iffy. But we found we saw that there's a, there's a purpose to that. The remainder of this code, the remainder of this code, the next four chapters, including this one, deal with. The touching are related to matters of the human body. Leviticus 12 addresses the impurity experienced by the mother who has just given birth. Um, 
If there was ever a passage to be skipped on Sunday morning, you'd think this would be it. Um, well, you haven't read chapters 13 through 15 yet. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, get ready. Your day is coming. But today we deal with childbirth. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Proverbs 35, right? King James says every word of God is pure. All Scripture is God... I have to set this preface on this passage. Every time I teach it, I have to set this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man... Studying about childbirth rituals. That the man of God may be complete. Is that true? Good Reformed Baptist people are going to say, yes, it is. Here's a test of that. And this is the thing I ran up against running into Leviticus. How, what do you do with this? How is this profitable for teaching correction, reproof, and training in righteousness? What does this mean? What, how do I, in the 21st century, apply this? How about this one? Now, these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. What part of Scripture is he talking about? What is he specifically talking about whenever he's writing this? Uh, right, he's talking about the Old Testament at this time, right? He's talking about Leviticus 12. Yes? And other things, obviously. But, but it includes here. All right. With that preface, let's pray. Father, I thank You that all Scriptures God breathe. I thank You that You are wise and that You uh, impart Your wisdom to Your people through Your Word, all of it. I pray, Father, that this morning You would open our eyes to what You would teach us through Leviticus 12. I have no resources here other than your, other than your word and the, and the power of your spirit. I pray that would fall on each of us to open our hearts here and, and let us see something that's uncomfortable and kind of icky uh, would be applicable to us in a way that is most profound. Thank you for Jesus and the grace that we have through him and that all the knowledge, treasures of knowledge and wisdom are stored in him and we have access to him through the grace of and power of your spirit because of his atoning sacrifice for us on the cross. May we be raised with him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's start with just going through the passage. Just what are the mechanics of this? What does it look like? Why do you have a law on childbirth? Something wrong with it? Is there anything morally wrong about having a baby? Everybody's kind of shaking their heads no, still looking at the same piece of carpet. Is there anything morally wrong about it? No, there's nothing wrong or immoral about giving birth. In fact, isn't that part of God's original mandate? Yes, be fruitful and multiply. That's following kind of a command, a mandate of God for the human race, to be fruitful and multiply, to increase on the earth. Psalm 127.3 confirms... The Israelite mindset that children are a heritage from the Lord. Yes, a gift of God. 
What's the problem then? What does it say in the passage? What's the problem? Because of her what? Um, childbirth is messy business. We don't need to go into a whole lot of detail. It's messy business. What, what is it that is at issue here? Blood. Blood. Why is that a problem? Isn't the natural outcropping of childbirth that it'd be blood would be spilt somehow? Yeah, I'll just confirm. Yes. But why is that a problem? It, she can't help that. She can't help that. Why would losing blood cause impurity? Well, many cultures, both ancient and modern, see the loss of bodily fluids as ritually defiling. It's just in the culture. Uh, some explain why. Others give no explanation. Um, it used to be customary that whenever you entered somebody's house, that you took off, if you're a man, you took off your hat as a sign of respect. You, 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 we don't do that anymore because all of us wear ball caps. But that used to be, why is that? Why is that a sign of respect? Do we have a cultural explanation of why that is? No, we just do it. There's really no cultural explanation. Some of this is... Is there is there a reason? I mean, can you, can you think of one? Yes? He's doing this. Huh? No. <laughs> maybe. His bald head before the Lord. Okay, cover it because he... Okay, well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, many of the smart folks argue that the loss of blood signifies that one is incomplete and unclean. Loss of blood was treated like the impurity of a woman's period, which means that her impurity lasted seven days. Whoever touched her became ritually impure. Whoever came into contact with her became ritually impure. I make this point. Sometimes when we talk about impurity, oh, yeah. ritually, ritual impurity does not, is not necessarily a, a bad thing if you handle it properly. So when a woman has a baby, nobody's going, don't touch her because she's had a baby and we're not going to be ritually pure. You can still take care of your family member and comfort them through the pain of childbirth, but you just got to handle it right. You're unclean, you know, till sundown, those kinds of things. You just take on the burden of knowing that I'm not going to be able to go visit the tabernacle, I'm not going to be able to do some other things. So don't don't assign to it more than it is, but it's in the culture, it's part of the function of the culture that this causes impurity. Um, seven days she's she's out here uh, for the for the first stage of this. Another thing to think through, because everybody thinks, wow, this is such a sexist law. The other thing to think through is, in an age of childbirth, where there's no medicine, right? That's uncomfortable, to say lightly. In fact, it's very painful. And the healing process takes several weeks. Here you have God also providing a very socially acceptable way for a woman to withdraw and heal. Right? Don't go, you know, anytime somebody has a baby, we always feel like we've got to go that day to take the flowers and take the stuff and it's like, oh, just leave me alone. Oh my gosh. She's got medicine and she feels that way. Think about a woman who had no medicine, who's just biting down on a piece of leather. This is a socially acceptable way for her to withdraw from the community. It's a grace thing, really. 
to withdraw from the community to be cared for by her family um, while she's healing from the pain and discomfort of childbirth. All right, let's look at the, the requirements here. There are three stages to this thing. Three steps are required to move from defilement or impurity to purity. The first one is, the woman is to remain unclean for 7 or 14 days depending on the gender of the child. She's got to wait 7 days for males, 14 days for females. First of all, let's deal with this issue. Why 7 days? Or a multiple of 7? What do you think? What have we seen again and again and again in the Old Testament? There's a completeness issue, right? Seven is a number that's, that signifies completeness, thoroughness. Uh, the Hebrew number of perfection is, uh, is seven. Okay. Why 14 days for a female child? Are girls just that much more unclean than boys? Cooties. <laughs> it's the cootie factor? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems that because women are how, you know, the vehicle to bring life into the world, mm-hmm. that if you bear another woman, mm-hmm. then you're responsible for somebody who could do, bear that part of the curse again. Mm-hmm. So, double the time. Yeah, yeah. There's that idea. There are the smart folks out there that, that make that argument. You're right. Uh, others... Uh, just stop it. It's just sexist. It's just, they just hate women. Bible. Christians. Jews. They stop at that argument. Well, in response to that argument, um, they overlook the Israelite view that God's image was expressed in male and female, right? If we're going to make the sexist argument, what other culture views male, male and female as both an expression of the image of God. None. Uh, if it's sexist, the sexist argument also fails to explain why the rights in this chapter were exactly the same for male and female children. They still had to both withdraw. They still had to do the thing. They still had to make the same sacrifices at the end. It's for both. You don't add an extra bull in there for a woman because it's a woman. It's not. That's not it. It's the same. It's the time phase. It's the draw factor, right? That's the difference. Some ancients believed that boys had a shorter gestation period in the womb. There was some idea that maybe that's going on here. Eh. Um, Others have suggested that a boy's circumcision somehow contributed to the purification because there's an extra... The males bore the sign of the covenant and they... Some argue that. I know John Gill argued that. And they had to take him on the eighth day to do that. So maybe in order for her to be able to be present for the circumcision or, or whatever, maybe there's some of, some of that as well. Um, the, the thing is, we just don't know. I mean, when it comes down to it, we just don't know. It's one of those things like, why do we take the hat off and we go into the house, right? It's, that's what's, uh, th- those are all possible theories, but nobody knows for sure. It doesn't tell us. So what happens if they're a male? We've said it. Circumcised on the eighth day. Why? Why do that? It's a sign of the covenant. Where do we get that? Abraham. Genesis 17, right? Uh, is a sign of the covenant. 17, 11 through 12. The sign of the covenant family and being identified with the people of God. They belong to God. If, co- if circumcision was a covenant sign and males are circumcised, does this mean 
that only males were considered covenant members. Because it doesn't call for female circumcision, thankfully. Some wicked pagan cultures do. Isn't that what we're seeing in, in Ruth? I was just going to go there. Good. I'm glad you brought that up. We have an issue there of male representation of the family. And that includes females who are represented by the male who is a covenant member. Therefore, the females under him, the wife, the daughters, are also members of the covenant family by representation. Um, it was a republic. It was by representation. Remember those? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, Israelite society, the father was considered the head of the family, the representative. If he received the sign of the covenant, then all who were members of the family, including females, were considered to be covenant members as well. So you have the seven-day idea. The boys were circumcised on the eighth day. The girls waited another seven days uh, for them before they move into the second stage, which lasts for 33 days or 66 days, depending on the gender. And this time period, this, this month or two-month about time period, she's neither ritually uh, pure nor impure. It's kind of a holding period. Again, it's another time for her to be withdrawn. It says specifically she's not to touch any holy thing or go to the tabernacle or the, the sanctuary. Right? So it's temple, later times of the temple. So it doesn't mean that she can't, that other people can't touch her in this time. It's, she's moving a stage closer to being pure. She can touch other people. That she can, people can touch things that she sat on. That whole, that whole idea is not there anymore. It's just dealing with the things of, of God. It's a, it's, a, it's a middle row stage. And so the mother moves to the second stage on the eighth day. In the second step, she's no longer ceremonially unclean, but this period serves as an interval between her cleanness and uncleanness. It's 33 days. What do you get? Total number of days. What do you get? 40 Okay, great Bible scholars. What's 40 in the Old Testament? What do we generally see associated with that? 40 days and 40 nights for Noah? It's still 40 years in the wilderness? It's still a completeness. But it's like an earthly completeness or a humanly Usually a big event, a judgment is a big event, a blessing is a big event. And that's what we see here. It marks a significant earthly event. Um, what's the big event? Birth. Life. Life. Childbirth. A kid coming into the world is a big deal. And so we see an, a multiple of 40. It's the start of a new generation. Start of a new... And, and, and look, it transforms your life. It does. It's a completely different thing. The, there's, there's two people and now there's three people. And it's the dynamics change. A long time. And they change. And they still change because they move in stages of life themselves. I think with every significant period of a kid's life, you should take 40 days and just go, Lord. <laughs> 14 is one of those periods. I'm just saying, oh God. I need 40 days. There should be, in law, the Fair Labor Standards Act should have a 40-day increment for every 
you could just withdraw from work and just go on a mountain and just be for a while, preparing for this momentous occasion. That's what the deal is. It's a life-transforming event. There's a 40-year deal, uh, 40 year, I should be, a 40-day deal or an 80-day deal, apparently for, for girls, 40-day, <laughs> um, uh, 80-day deal. It's a major significant of a, a, a significant social transition or a complete period of endurance, such as a, a fasting or punishment. Here, the significance is, is childbirth, but it's a lesser stage of impurity, and it it it, it, it seems to say that that she's she's moving away from the uncleanliness of the seven and fourteen days to a period of just kind of a transition. Um, what does it say? What does this say? I mean, she's still in this period of not able to go to the house of the Lord, not able to touch, for example, the peace offering meat, something that's sacred. What does that say? What does that bring to mind to Israel? Wandering in the wilderness. Wandering in the wilderness. I still can't eat meat. What, what does it say about God? How, how is He to be valued? Doesn't it display that even in this physical representation, God is a blazing holiness. Huge holiness. And here's a physical representation that I'm not. She's not. And even this period of transition, I may be able to be around people, but I still can't go to where He is. Right? It underscored the importance of respecting the Lord by respecting what's associated with His holiness, the tabernacle the holy things, the respecting of Him. Nevertheless, by the 40th day or the 80th day, she would have gone through a thorough wait and be ready to transition from the ritually impure to the ritually pure. And then we get stage three. Stage three purity. How does this look? What do we do here? You've got a major event, a major impurity, if we're gonna, there's minor impurities and major impurities. People that touch her would be minor, minor impure. They'd touch a dead animal, unclean till, till sundown. That's a minor impurity. This is a major one. We have a longer protracted period. At the end of the major impurities, we have what? Sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? What's going on? What does it say? A burnt offering and a sin offering or purity offering. Two, two ways to say that. Verses 6 through 8. In our passage, the first is the, the burnt offering, primarily to gain acceptance of the offer by God. And it's a reconciliation of general sinfulness. We've seen that in chapter 1 of Leviticus. The burnt offering is, I'm unholy, you're holy, generally, accept me. Uh, also, a burnt offering is used as thankfulness. Thankful I'm alive after childhood birth with no medicine. Thankful for the kid who's alive. Thankful that they survived the circumcision. You know that all these elements of thankfulness are there. The sin offering, ritually unclean, she has to be purified of that. This is the final stage of that. So there's a sin offering, or a purification offering that takes place. So both of these are done. What does she gain from these sacrifices? What happens? What is she allowed to do? She got to go and notice that. In fact, notice what happens. Where is she going? Is there a separate woman's courtyard there? No. She goes to the tabernacle. 
She goes to the door, the entrance to the tent of meeting in front of God and everybody. She's there with the men offering her sacrifices. Is that inequality? Do we have grounds for outrage and to hold protests and to, you know? No. She is accepted or being accepted, the process of being accepted as an image bearer, fulfilling her role that God has assigned to be image bearer this way at the same place the men do when they offer their sin offerings, when they offer their burnt offerings. Yes? I was just wondering, just in that whole sin offering thing, because there's not anything wrong with childbirth and stuff, does this have anything to do with the fact that um, uh, the original sin idea yeah. and the curse that this child who's being born is already born with a sinful nature? Yeah, we'll get. Does we'll, it, have it does, and and, and and there's some there's some there's some association there. We'll talk about it in just a second. But you're right. There is some of that idea. Uh, but right now we're just dealing with the, the physical. The, it's a ritual impurity. It's not, this is not a moral pronouncement on the woman. This is a physical, ritual impurity. This is a cultural thing that God is, is painting a picture through. How she can be made right to go back into His presence and deal with His stuff, His holy stuff. So, she's readmitted into the regular religious life of Israel. She's restored into the right relationship with God to the community, to the, sanctu- to the sanctuary, what if she can't afford a lamb? He made provision. He made provision. In what way? What does she do? Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. What, what is it? Two turtle doves or two pigeons, right? Is that what it is? Where did the new mother bring this offering? The entrance to the tent of meeting. Women were as welcome as men to come and worship before the Lord. All right. That's beautiful. What do we do with this? What is this showing? Well, what does childbirth remind us of in our relationship with God? You've said it. It reminds us of Genesis 3, doesn't it? In Adam, all die. Uh, the, the inherent sin, our federal representative, the covenant bearer, Adam, sins on our behalf. Thank you. Appreciate that. I would have done nothing different than him, by the way. And neither would you. The girl would have grabbed the apple, I'd have ate it. It's still the thing. Um, In Adam all die. We start from a, a point of sin. The woman can't help the blood loss here. It's just part of her nature. This is part of it. I'm born in Adam. It's part of my nature. Right? Ritual holiness reminded us of God's blazing holiness. Only those who are ritually pure could approach the presence of God. If this were true in the physical realm, how much more true in the spiritual moral realm? If God's picture is, I can't help the blood flow from childbirth and I need to go through these three stages to be ritually pure again, to be part of the community, to be in His presence, how much more the stuff in my heart? Doesn't it paint that picture? 
In fact, you'll see this throughout the, the rest of the cleanliness code and, and other elements of Leviticus. These are pictures, and we've said this before, pictures of what goes on, what needs to take place in the human heart. Um, Ephesians 2.3, By nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, God graciously provides a symbol, a picture of our innate, unclean, rebellious hearts. We forget who we are before Him. We don't get our sin, and God provides a graphic representation of that corruption from birth in this ritual. Second, who provides the means of purification? Aaron. No? Does he? Moses? Who provides the means? God provides the means. God diagnoses the problem of our sinful condition. How can a sinful and unholy people dwell in the presence of holy God? He also graciously provides a solution. Is that not a picture of the gospel? By nature, recognition from our nature, our true nature as sinful, unclean creatures before God. A time marked by significant transformation and repentance with a desire to be made clean from our condition. Finally, our use of the means uh, of faith, the sacrifice that He's given us in Christ. He's commanded for us to be made clean, to be atoned for. It is pictured here as a lamb and a bird or two doves and pigeons if you're, if you're poor. That's the picture. But doesn't it presuppose a final sacrifice? Doesn't it point ahead to the final sacrifice? Israel was reminded that God's intention for humanity was to come before Him and worship and celebrate the covenant relationship with Him and with each other. That's the goal. It's the goal for the men. It's the goal for the women. She's to come to the entrance of the sanctuary. Worship, have covenant relationship with me and with each other. That's the goal, male and female. All right. The physical impurity represents moral impurity. Turn to Luke 8. There are really two places where this is dealt with. Two themes, two stories. This uh, story is told here in Luke 8, verse 42 through 48, and also in Mark 5, 25 through 34. We're going to read the Luke, the Luke passage. All right. And we'll start with 42b. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What's going on here? Who touched him? What do we know of this woman? 
What's her condition? So what does that place her in the community? She's unclean. Ritually unclean. Always unclean. That seven days, the first stage is constantly going. People touch, I don't want to touch her, I'll be unclean till sundown. For, for 12 years. There's no second stage for this woman. Ritually unclean. What does that do to her? She's cut off from contact with community that, you know, people care about their purity, which they kind of did. She's cut off from where? The temple. The entrance to the temple. She's cut off. For 12 years. And it meant so much to her to be a part of it that she spent everything she had to fix it and couldn't do it. For 12 years. No money. Gone. Cut off from society. Cut off from the presence, the acceptance of God for 12 years. She could never make atonement or be restored to fellowship. She was outcast because anyone who touched her would be unclean. What was she doing in the crowd? How selfish. She might have bumped into somebody and they wouldn't know they'd be unclean. She's in the crowd. She shouldn't be there. Do you think she was trying to sneak up on Jesus so she wouldn't be noticed? Right? I mean, doesn't it say, that's why I wanted to go through Luke, because it's a little extra clarification here. She, she, did, she wanted to be hidden. She wanted to remain hidden. Why? You're here! What? You're unclean. She wanted to remain hidden. What does he do? Oh, she wants to be hidden. Let's honor that. What does he do? In the midst of being pressed in on by all the people... He yells out, Who touched me? Don't! What does that do? If there were a spotlight on the top of the building there and whatever, there she is. She wanted to remain hidden. He doesn't let her remain hidden. Why is he able to do this? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, if she's out and about, everybody's going to... They're going to... Unclean, unclean, yeah. Uh, she touches Jesus, she doesn't want to be known, but he calls her out. Everybody now knows she's there, but then he follows up by saying, you are now well. Right. He calls out, you are now ritually... You, You're ritually clean. And he does it publicly. What effect does that have on her? Now she's publicly accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He commends her. He restores her publicly after 12 years, all of her money spent. What does she do? She, by faith, grabs hold of him and trusts he's enough. And she's restored. And he, and he publicly says, you're restored. What was unclean is now clean. He's not made unclean by touching the unclean, right? He makes the unclean clean. 
Go in peace, he says. He immediately restores her to fellowship. Go in peace. We see in this ritual the burnt offering, right? We see the burnt offering and the sin offering to get you where? To the peace offering. He says to her publicly, go in peace. I'm your peace. I've restored you to peace. No waiting. I'm done. It's done. You've trusted me. You've. Who did she touch? Look at Luke 2. Just a few pages back. Luke 2 records that Mary also went through this purification ritual in the infancy of Christ. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. When the days of her purification were completed, she went to the temple to offer what? A lamb? What does it say? Turtle doves and pigeons. Why? They were poor. The king of heaven comes down and identifies in this ritual with the poor, the impoverished, impoverished, the outcast, the marginalized. He identifies with what has been cast away. Two birds, one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. She gives the offering of the poor, the outcast, the commoner who cannot even afford a lamb, Pharisees would say, we know our Father. Right? In God's grace, Mary offers the offering of the poor, two birds, for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And He fulfills it. This Lamb would also abolish ritual distinction for national Israel for relational distinction in those redeemed from every nation, tribe, people, and language. He restores what's been cast off. He has relational distinction among those who trust in Him alone. We're talking this morning about how these um, rituals and these impurity laws display a picture, a physical picture of the moral impurity in our hearts. I, you know, John says at the end of his gospel, if things were written, everything was written about Jesus, there would not be enough space in the world to fulfill, I mean, to fill, the books would fill up all the world, or however that goes. I didn't, I didn't memorize that. But there it is. There's not enough space to tell the story of it. They called out of the history of Jesus incidences. This was an important one. This story happens in the midst of him being contacted by a synagogue leader, a leader in Israel. This would really further his ministry if he healed this woman's daughter, this man's daughter, right? And really, and he does, but he stops for this outcast. And it, and in it, points back to this law and others that we'll see in the cleanliness code here, dealing with human body impurity. Points back to this. To make the display, yeah, I can heal this physical impurity. How much more can I heal your moral impurity? How much more am I enough? Come to me, trust me that I'm enough, right? Yeah. You know, uh, all of the people that are, that are pro-abortion today would say, oh, 
you know, a, a baby growing inside is just a fetus. It's just a tumor. It's a part of her body, and she can make a choice. God says differently because the same law for a baby born of her flesh and blood is the cleanliness ritual is if she had touched something dead. Mm-hmm. That's how we're, we're born in sin, just like Romans, Romans 5 says. And so how to, to be pure from, one, one there's blood loss, mm-hmm. but two, it's a sinful person mm-hmm. that's coming into the world, that she touched this sinful person. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, it just shatters. It, it reminds us again of our need for grace from the very beginning. David says, you know, in, in iniquity my mother conceived me. He's not talking about his mother's, how he was conceived. He's talking about the, the process of original right. sinfulness on his own heart from the very beginning. Um, they, they, the thoughts are perpetually evil from birth, it says in Genesis yeah. 6. So, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's that picture. But, the, but Luke and Mark, using that story of this woman, I, I think is, is a clear picture of Christ being the, the only one. I mean, he just declared, you're, be at peace. Shalom. We'll just get all spiritual and we use the Hebrew. Shalom. He pronounces on her the peace offering as if she's already taken it. And as if she's already in fellowship with the culture, with the community, and does it publicly. Do we view each other that way? Do we see that grace of Christ, the pronouncement of peace on those who have repented and trusted in Him as those who are in right fellowship? Struggling, fighting, hopefully, but still, He's pronounced it. Be at peace. Don't wait. No waiting period. Be at peace because of what I've done. For what was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Every word of God proves true. Every word of God is pure. All Scriptures God breathed and profitable. As all Scripture testifies of Him. And that's true for Leviticus 12. And it will be for 13, 14, and 15 as we get into those next week let me pray Father thank you that you in your great sovereignty set apart a people to display physical representations of where we are spiritually and morally Thank you that in your grace you have shown us that Christ has fulfilled all the physical laws in order that he may apply his obedience to us spiritually. That he lived the life we should have lived and has died the death we should have died and has been raised that we might be raised with him in newness of life, seated with him with his righteousness on us holy, blameless, undefiled. I don't feel it all the time. In fact, many days I look at my own life and think, unclean. Thank you, by your grace, you have spoken to us through your Son. Be at peace. I've done it. 
trust me and me alone. And as we fight for holiness, from hearts that long to be in right fellowship with you, we realize that we are in fellowship with you because of what Jesus has done. God, help us to have hope and not despair. That even though we continue to wrestle with the remaining sin that, that so easily besets us, that you have spoken and declared peace. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.